penetrating questions are the ones I look for as a strategist. The ones that are just deceivingly simple, but so sharply incisive, they cut right through the BS and get, you know, they, they like pierce you. And it's, it's hard to be asked that question in your heart of hearts, Jeff, what do you want? And if something comes up, I invite you to write it down and capture it without judgment, without withholding, without editing. And that's the practice. If you had to get it to its most elemental, it's the practice. Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. On this episode, I'm joined by Bonnie Wan, an incredible leader who created a brilliant concept called the Life Brief, which helps people live with greater clarity, creativity, and courage by teaching them how to write briefs for their lives. We dive deep into how she created the Life Brief and its major components, but we also spend time talking about her life as an Asian immigrant in the United States and my experiences with having adopted two Chinese children. I just love this conversation with Bonnie, and I know you'll find it inspiring. And hey, while I've got you, definitely consider subscribing on whatever platform you're listening on. I have a lot of great guests lined up that, trust me, you won't want to miss. Okay, here's my conversation with Bonnie. Okay, I'm here with my new friend, Bonnie. Bonnie, will you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Great. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's so fun to be here. Okay, so I do a couple things. I am the author and creator and teacher of something called The Life Brief, which I consider my gift work um, and maybe life's work. But I am also, I have a day job, a big day job as partner and head of brand strategy at an creative agency called Goodby Silverstein and Partners. Yeah. One of the best agencies that's it's, you guys do amazing work and you're in what part of California, San Francisco, the Bay area, but we also have a new, tiny New York office that is foundling and growing. Got it. Got it. Okay. And you have four kids. We were talking about that earlier, almost you five me with five. And then you one up to me again. I have a dog and you said, I have two dogs. I do. I do. I, do. I like to, I, I don't know if that's something you want to win at, but I do. I do win at that. Um, no, hats off to you. <laughs> what, what are the ranges of the four kids? Um, my eldest, who is my only boy and my dear son is 17, about to turn 18 and become a legitimate adult. Um, and then I have three daughters, 15, about to be 13 and eight. Wow. We're real close. I have a 17, 15, 13, 12 and 10. So we're kind of close. Very yeah. close. Very close. You squeezed in two before I even got to my eight-year-old. Yeah, that's true. But, th- but those are the ones we adopted. So we, yeah. Yeah, we, we cheated a little bit there in the ages. Um, okay. I, so I got connected to you because um, Ashley Jones said, you have to have Bonnie on your podcast. I don't know if she heard you speak about uh, the life brief somewhere or something, but she's like, Jeff, you got to have her. So um, that is why we're here. So hat tip to Ashley for that recommendation. Hey, Ashley. Yeah. She is a gift to the world. No doubt about it. Absolutely. Um, so since then, I've I've watched 
your talks. I've, I mean, I've, what you're doing is really, really exciting. I, I want to start with, well, give a quick brief, brief overview of what it is. Um, and then I'm going to go back to how you started and stuff, but maybe some context for people. Yeah, that's great. The life brief is basically a creative brief for your life. Um, it, it's exactly what it sounds like, for, but I realize most people, or many people don't know what a creative brief is. And um, given that I have spent the last 30 years as a creative brand strategist in advertising, the creative brief is our fundamental foundational tool to the creative process. It really kicks off everything, you know, as a strategist, uh, we are taught to really embrace the messiness of figuring out and solving problems, problems for brands, typically companies. Um, and the mess is, you know, we do a ton of research looking at all kinds of things from, you know, the consumer and customers to the company's legacy and their magic and competitors and where culture is going. And it sprawls out into all kinds of ingredients and insights and facts. And we have to distill that to shine light on where are we going? What are we saying? What do we want people to know and understand? And how do we shift, most importantly, shift people's beliefs or attitudes or behaviors? around a given brand and product. And the creative brief is all that mess distilled into a one-page document that ends up being a short, sharp, and hopefully sticky summary of where we're going. And so the life brief really was a reflex during a moment of marital despair, um, confusion, crisis of meaning in my life. And I, I think I hit rock bottom. And so as a reflex late one evening, when I was sitting at my, in my parents' home at the, in my childhood bedroom, just I, wondering, is my marriage over? Um, oh my gosh, what if I can't hold all the things I've built in my life? Um, my reflex was let's write a brief because <laughs> yeah. there was something familiar in that moment to what I'd experienced from all my clients who were really questioning, you know, what do we do? Where do we take this company? Where do we take this brand? And I think because I had been trained in it, I, I vomited out a brief, really, which was a distillation down to what really matters, what matters most to me in this moment right now. And what do I want? Mm. And you got it down to a page. Was it one page? Less than a page. Less than a page. Okay. Five bullet points, maybe seven. I, I can't remember the exact amount, but it was a set of bullet points. And, and that in itself was revealing to me. It's funny the the practice of the life brief now at its most elemental, the most essential is, is allowing what's inside of you to come up out and onto the page. Right. Mm -hmm. And all you really need is something to write with something to write on to capture it. Because I find our, 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 our thoughts are loose and deceiving. You know, they're, they're kind of waves of the ocean 
One thought comes through, it's quickly overturned by another thought, a wave comes in and, and you lose the thoughts and you're not really in relationship. It's just this kind of pattern of incoming and outgoing. But when you put it on paper and you have to stare back at it, read it, think about it, feel it. Now you're in relationship with it. Mm-hmm. And that's really the power of the life brief is getting out what's inside onto the page so that you can be in relationship with it and therefore you. Mm-hmm. And so when the seven bullet points stared back at me, I, I had a couple of epiphanies. I, the first was, oh my God, these aren't, super ambitious societal like cravings. I didn't want a corner office. I wasn't looking for, you know, a yacht or, um, you know, a Parisian vacation spot. They were foundational, fundamental things. I wanted time. Time with my kids, time with my husband, time for myself. God forbid I say that and admit it, you know, and and, and then the second revelation was, oh my gosh, our lives look really good on social media, maybe even envious, but I can't confidently check off any of these seven and say, yes, we have this. So after that, when was this, by the way, when you sat down at the table? It was and in it? 2010. 2010. Yeah. Um, did did it evolve to a point now? Like, is it still bullets that just sort of share what you you're know, hoping for? So I call the life brief a practice. It's not a plan, right? It's not a one and done thing. It's not even a document. It's a practice, which means you do it with regularity, some sort of consistency, mm. right? And it gets easier the more you do it. So I have life briefed everything. It saved my marriage, not once, but twice. It's centered my parenting. It has skyrocketed my career, um, shockingly. And and it has, in some ways, oddly brought me this, you know, um, this platform and and grown this gift work. So I've life briefed everything. It's something that evolves as you evolve. It's not a one and done thing. But what's so beautiful is I've recently um, looked back on all my life briefs. and. they still resonate. And, you know, uh, so, so the art of it or the practice of it is to get down however many bullet points or statements, right. That encapsulate what matters most to you, whether in a certain relationship, any specific relationship, it doesn't have to be your spouse or partner. It can be your children. It can be your parents, um, your best friend, or your relationship with your work, your relationship with yourself, which we all neglect, or the relationship with a cause or a community or a value system that you believe in. And once you distill it down, then you push it because now you've captured it. You can play with it, but if you don't capture it, you can't mold it. You can't shape it. You can't embolden it. You can't deepen it. You can't sharpen it. Right. So then I invite people to push it, push it, push it, go 
to the edge of honesty. Write what you really want, but you might not even believe that you could get it. Dare yourself to do that. No one's watching. This is a private practice. Mm -hmm. But can you push yourself at least that far to be in conversation with yourself? And once you do that, name it. Name it in a way that you can remember it because it's very hard to be walking around through your life remembering seven bullet points, right? But that first brief, the name was Take Our Time. And I've written one for myself this year that's Take Back My Time Mm. because I've spent the last two years giving, 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 completely depleted. And, um, I worked through every vacation last year, except for one. Don't do that. (laughs) I'm telling that emphatically, do not do that. And this year I have already spoken to the president of the agency. And I said, I am taking all of my vacations and I'm not, and and, and then some, and I'm not working through them. So let's see how that goes. But um, I think that's more of a commitment to myself. Yeah. So, so talk to me about that though. So you, for 10 years have been practicing this or 12 years have been practicing this. And I think you said at the beginning, one of the principles was more time with my family, with my husband, my kids, presumably that was a theme that resonated continuously. Um, the, the reason that you worked through all the vacations last year, was that because you lost sight of that? Did it fall off the list or you didn't prioritize that one or how did that happen? You know, um, what overtook me in the last two years was bigger questions um, around my identity as a Chinese uh, American immigrant woman and how that impacts my parenting, how I've raised my children, how I lead at my agency and and. There were bigger questions, I guess, more urgent questions that consumed my own life brief. Mm. Um, There was some really deep reflection and reckoning going on. And and then, you know, often I think, you know, the the, the life brief is about and into the creative process, really. It's not even the life brief. It's the creative brief, which informs and inspires the life brief. But it's about being in a constant state of curiosity and allowing questions to drive, not answers. You know, I think we so quickly jump to answers. We want the answer. But I, I often say to people, the answers we seek lie in the questions we tend to avoid. So easy to avoid these questions in our always on 24 seven entertainment culture where we have devices that are, you know, ready at every fingertip, you know, wherever we go, it's, it's easier than ever to avoid the questions. And the question I always ask people is, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Not what are you in the mood for when you feeling like, or but what do you want? Not what do you think you want or what do your parents want for you or your best friend or your family? What do you want? And what I love about that question, and not all questions are created equal, by the way, you know, 
penetrating questions are the ones I look for as a strategist. The ones that just are simple, deceivingly simple, but so sharply incisive, they cut right through the BS and get, you know, they, they like pierce you. And it's, it's a hard to be asked that question in your heart of hearts, Jeff, what do you want? And if something comes up, I invite you to write it down mm-hmm. and capture it without judgment, without withholding, without editing. <clears throat> and that's the practice. If you had to get it to its most elemental, it's the practice. And during the last two years, there were big questions that kept coming up for me. What parts of myself have I been hiding, suppressing, denying? Because my whole life since I immigrated was to belong and belonging turned to assimilation and assimilation turned to success. And I have a lot of a success. I've achieved, you know, I've, I've checked all the boxes, but what have I denied as the cost of that? That was a big one the last two years. And then how has that reflected in where and how I've raised my children and how I show up every day as a leader? And those, those were the questions I had to confront the last two years. Still confronting. What was it about the last two years? Um, was it the forced disruption and the time sort of that, that were problem solving and everything sort of everywhere? Was it George Floyd and, uh, you know, the Black George Matter Floyd, Atlanta murders, seeing, um, might get a little emotional here. The, the racism in my own backyard in San Francisco towards elderly Asians. Um, to confront the abuse and the bias and the invisibility that I have swallowed and made a practice of swallowing my entire life since I immigrated to the United States, you know. And then finally seeing uh, the world talk about it openly. And then being asked of my agency, because we don't, we didn't, we didn't, we do now have, uh, we have amazing black leaders at the top of the agency. A, a black leader, let me be specific. But up until then, which was 20, late 2020, uh, you know, my partner, Christine Chen and I were the only um, leaders of color. <clears throat> and it, it really hit home uh, in 2020, the depth of that responsibility. And um yeah, it just, you know, the tide broke. And and my brief for um, that year was relations, not just solutions. You know, I, I, took, um, I took a class in the wake of George Floyd's killing. And um, it was taught by a beautiful filmmaker who, uh, who did a film called The, the Color of Fear. It's a 
mid nineties, um, documentary about a men's group, you know, uh, and, and they just film, film the conversations of this men. You can tell it's the nineties because of the shorts and the dress and the hairstyles, you know, but the conversation was so damn powerful and it really just gripped me. There were black men, Asian men, Hispanic men, white men in conversation over a weekend and they couldn't leave. So they, they really had to unpack stuff and it was so real. And there was a moment that, uh, one of the Asian men said, talked about a story of being at a grocery store. He was the next one in line and the cash. So his turn comes up and the cashier points the person behind him and says, next, how can I help you? he was just completely invisible and something in that moment unzipped for me. He gave words to my experience, you know, my lifetime of experience as, as a Chinese, you know, American and um, my husband and I were watching it together and it was just so profound. And so I took the class by Le Mon Hua, the filmmaker and it was um, really beautiful. And he said something really powerful. He said, when we try, when we focus all our attention on solving problems with innovation, inventions, answers, it's a real safety mechanism for us to keep it at a distance, an arm's length, and not really have to enter the ring of fire. And, you know, that's what we do in our business of creativity. We come up with innovations, great campaigns, draw, draw awareness, change behaviors. And that allows us to say, we're in it. We're really in it. We're doing our part. But that's not true because if you want to create sustainable change, sustainable change, meaningful change, it takes one person at a time and not in an in an ongoing way. It's not a one and done thing. And if you're going to lead in that environment, you have to show up every day being relational, mm. listening hard, being uncomfortable with non-closure because these are neat are not problems that have neat answers, silver bullets. You know, and so anyways, that's a very long winded way to say why I did not take vacation. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that's right. That's what we were talking about. Yes, that, that was opening. <laughs> um, well, Bonnie, I just want to say first, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, and it means a lot because I know there's going to be people listening to this that um, maybe they share that experience or this helps them or, or, or they do something because they heard this. But I'll tell you specifically, um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but my two youngest that we adopted, we adopted them from China. And um, I didn't know that. Yeah. A little boy and a little girl. And um, when COVID hit, um, you know, uh, I guess March 16th, 2020 was the first day that we were all that Monday that we were all home. Mm. Um, And so we were all locked in our house with our five kids. And um, my wife overheard um, my son um, who then would have been eight. playing with toys, but he was playing where one toy was China and one toy was the U S and the Chinese toy was apologizing to the U S toy 
about COVID. Oh my. Right. And and we didn't even like, I don't think we'd said in our household, this is sort of where it originated. Right. So then we're like, all right, well, he's hearing this in school. And we, and we asked him and he didn't really remember where he heard it, but he felt bad that China did this to the world. And Mm. it just broke my heart. Um, And so anyways, I, I appreciate you sharing your story because it, for somebody like myself and probably a lot of listeners, um, you know, I, I'm, I've checked every box of privilege that a, a person can have. And so I, I don't see, I'm trying to see more, but I don't see these things. And so the story is really powerful. Um, and I just appreciate you sharing that. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, wow. So much in that story, Jeff. And I, I, I'm thankful that your kids have you to guide them through this, you know, thoughtfully, I, it, 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 there's so much to unpack in this. We couldn't do it in this yeah. session, but yeah. I will say that um, the gift of privilege is using it in a way to lift others up. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Okay. I'm going to get us back on track now, but thank, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, I, I am so curious if you have a defined personal purpose and if per, how purpose fits into, if at all, the life brief. The purpose, my purpose is the life brief. It's my gift work. It's my life work, you know, and I came, I came, I became clear about it later in life, but it's always been there when I, when I reflect, I think is to shine purpose and possibility, shine light on purpose and possibility for others. You know, I, I get to, I've I've had the privilege and and the opportunity to do that for great brands from scrappy startups to fortune 500. And, you know, I, I, I feel in some ways I've graduated from that because I I want to do that now for everyday people. Uh, There there's so much fulfillment in that. And one of my briefs for work was um, to walk a path of fulfillment, not just achievement. And another big question in the last two years is, has been what is enough? Yeah. What's enough financial success? What's enough uh, accolades? What's enough status? You know. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, the purpose, your your purpose is beautiful. Um, I'm curious. You you created the life brief in 2010, um, presumably. Or maybe not, but presumably some time passed where you're like, oh, this is really helping me. This grounded me, getting this out helped in so many ways. And there was a point where you said, I'm I'm ready to, I want to, I need to share this with others. Did that happen right away? Like what led you to share this with the world? I'm so glad you did. No, it's it, it's it's the weirdest journey. I, I think, you know, I you couldn't have ever planned it. That's why I'm not a I'm anti-plan, you know, (laughs) I always say it's a practice, not a plan, you know, because, um, I have a friend, Roger Housden. He's, he's a friend, he's a poet. He, he taught me some writing classes and he says, your plans are too small for you to live. And I, I, I really believe that life is full of serendipity, surprise, creativity, um, art life is, is art. Um, you know, there's something about ideas you know, you and I both love ideas. It's probably what drew us, you know, to the, 
day jobs that we, we, we both have, but great ideas seem to have a life of their own. And that's what I've found with the life brief, you know, uh, it just keeps knocking. Yeah. So it started with, Oh, I, you know, I had to come up with something to teach the agency, all leaders, you know, we had a program called, um, boost and it, it asked leaders to teach something, you know, Derek Robson, our agency president taught run club. Cause he loved running. And they asked me, okay, this is this month. You're the one. And I was like, I don't know what to teach. Uh, well, we just moved to Portland, you know, we're working remote away from the Bay area. Okay. I'll teach this thing called the life brief or writing a brief for your life. I don't know what to call it. I just went with the simplest thing, you know, the life brief. And it was standing room only, which shocked me because I was like, wait a second, you know, because I work, I'm the older one in the agency, a lot of younger. Why would everyone, they all have fantastic lives. And then I, it was kind of like a coming out moment because leaders don't talk about their struggles and definitely not their struggles at home. Yeah. Yes. You know, we all walk around, fake it till you make it, act like everything's cool. You know, you're, you're, you're polished and perfect. That's how leaders show up. And I was just going to about to break a pretty cardinal rule. And I just went in to the struggles I was having as a mom, as a wife, as you know, and, and, the, and the questions and, um, after that session, I was like, oh my God, someone's going to fire me. Someone's going to be like, that person cannot lead. She's an open book, TMI. But instead I got asked, could you teach another one? All these people missed it and they really want to come. And then it just kind of spiraled. And this is so not an overnight anything, mm-hmm. success or anything, but it just opportunities kept knocking. I just kept doing my day job. And the way I do it is somebody invites me to talk or give a workshop or, and I say, yes, my job is to just say yes. And it's kind of just blossomed from there. I'm sure there's some stories of people who have attended one of your talks or been in the agency and learned about the the life brief or read and has, has come to you and said it helped so much. Like it, it got me back on track or something. And, and that's got to be one of the most amazing moments when that happens. It's deeply fulfilling yeah. and fueling because I think that's what is the beauty of gift work. You'll do it in the latest hours of the night You'll do it in the slivers of time that you have when you could be taking a bath or spending more time with your kids or, you know, I don't know, going to the spa. What do women do? I don't know. But but gift work is so compelling that you want to do it, you know, and I find that there's two things that always save me from despair or a funk or one is creativity create something, go make something. It takes you out of your head. It redirects your attention in something juicy and productive. And the second is service. Mm -hmm. 
serve somebody else. Stop thinking about yourself. And the life brief is this beautiful intersection of creation and creativity and service for me. And, you know, it becomes its own addiction um, because, you know, other than my family and serving my employees, there is no greater source of deep, fulfilling energy. Love it. Um, and you have a book coming out on the life. Yes. Is that right? In a year. In a year. <laughs> oh so God, next year. It takes a long time. It's like how many advertising lifetimes can fit <laughs> right. into the process of publishing? <laughs> I love it. Okay. So you're, you're, can you tell me where you are in the process? Have you, have you? Uh, yes, I'm about to deliver my deadline for the first draft. The first full complete draft is April 5th. Oh. Holy smokes. Awesome. I can't believe this is happening. Um, It's been the most joyful, creative process I have ever, ever engaged in. I have this amazing editor, incredible. She, bless her. I have an incredible agent. I have an incredible co-writer partner that has enabled me to do this with four kids and the job and da, da, da. And um, Simon & Schuster is the publisher and um, I am indebted to those three souls who have three women who have come together and saw the potential in this and said more people need to do this practice. I love it. I cannot wait to get it. I hope a lot of your stories in it. I assume it must be. Um, Yes, it's it's chock full of stories, but it's mostly practical. It's okay. It, it, there's there, there's definitely um, the voice you hear today on this podcast and the stories behind it, but it's all in an effort to help people understand the practice. And the practice is very simple, but um, it really, you know, invites your attention, which again, the answers we seek lie in the questions we avoid. So I love that. Okay. Well, I have two questions left for you. Um, my favorite question is what are some of your favorite books? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm going to tell you, (sighs) I mean, look, it could be Harry Potter. It could be crime and punishment. I mean, it could be anywhere. I'm very efficient with my time. Um, and, and that doesn't mean I don't love entertainment because I love a whole host of entertainment and I love to mind meld in, you know, stuff that probably isn't good for me. But when it comes to books, there are a couple seminal books for me. And one is uh, David Brooks, uh, The Second Mountain. And it's all, no surprise, related to the life brief, but, you know, um, and then the other one is David White. So I like David's, I like Poet's. Um, and then I like books that really reinforce the life brief, um, David White's the three marriages. Um, and I'll just give you a quick synopsis is why David White talks about the three marriages, which are the traditional marriage of you and a partner, you know, um, the marriage, the second marriage is that of you and your work, whether that's your vocation, your day job, your side hustle, whatever, you know. Um, and then the third is the marriage to yourself. Mm. And he talks about that the work of our lifetime is to harmonize and braid and 
blend these three marriages so that they coexist in our lives. Um, And they are all non-negotiable. So think about that for a second. And he says, you can overinvest in two and ignore the third, but eventually all Mm. will come crashing down because these are fundamental to our existence as human beings. And so I love that book. David Brooks calls, talks about the second mountain and I love the framework too there. And it's not a framework book. It's a deeply emotional and spiritual one. Um, But he talks about the first mountain is what society teaches us to climb, you know? And even as a parent, I can't help but you know, also fall into this pattern because you want the best for your kids. Right. But it's the first mountain is find a great partner, have a great career, you know, whatever those checked boxes are, get up to that first mountain, you know, and then you will be happy. And what David Brooks has found is that, well, some people are knocked off the first mountain by tragedy or trauma, you know, that does happen. And then they find themselves deep in the valley mm. of questions, right? But then others of us, and probably a lot of people, maybe we see in our industries, get to the top of the first mountain. And they think, wait a second, why is this hum yeah. of emptiness still here? It's not loud, it's not shouting, but it's ever present. And underneath it all, what is that? And so no matter what your path is, whether from the valley or from the top of the first mountain, that's the opportunity and invitation to now embark on the second mountain, which is the journey of what do you want? Yeah, right. What calls to you? What grips you? I find, and I I know you said earlier, like a lot of younger people were resonating with the life brief, but I find a lot of older people older. I mean, I'm 46. Oh, I've I've, counting myself in older people. (laughs) Um, Don't ask me how old I am. I won't. I won't. But you you get to a point where um, you have accomplished things in your life, and and you do get. I think a lot of people uh, get to the point where like, but what is it all for? And to your point, what do I really want? So I, I, you know, when I when I hear you talk, I think, gosh, this, this is so needed for people at that stage in their life. Um, the life brief is. Yeah. I've, I, you know, uh, I've been surprised at who's gravitated towards yeah. the practice. I've had, you know, young people, I don't think as young as my teenagers, though I wish, I wish it to be, but I, I think yeah. they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know yet. Right. But definitely in, you know, postgraduate, you know, early twenties, I find a lot of people are wondering, but then I have empty nesters and certainly couples and then, you know, people in transition and uh, surprising it's, it's very immediate for women to go. I want this, but some of my most devout, I maybe, you know, um, the people who pose the questions over time and who are most committed are men. So Mm. it's interesting. Yeah. Very. Okay. Last question. Um, what didn't I ask you that I should have? Oh my gosh. That one's (laughs) a hard one. You know, maybe is this about, I think there's two things. 
purpose. I just want to unpack purpose. I think that's over overly talked about and it's as if there's a holy grail um, out there and some of us find it and some of us don't. And I really just want to debunk that. That purpose is, I, I think about purposeful, being purposeful, but it's not as if there's one entity in your life that you must find, discover, grab onto, hold called purpose. Mm. So I think, again, this is a practice for purposeful living. You know, that's one. The second thing is just our collective chase for happiness, you know, um, in, in 2020, I, I got to spend Thanksgiving. I met a new friend um, or just uh, someone who was invited to Thanksgiving. And they happened to be a part of the inner circle of, um, a, and a dear friend of Tony Shea, the former founder of Zappos. Zappos and, you know, the author of Delivering Happiness. And one of my favorites. Yeah, it's so good. He was one of my big icons in, 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 in in the business world. And, but as the night went on, um, you know, I, I found out of Tony's own spiral, personal Mm -hmm. spiral into, you know, drug use and addiction and, and, um, just some of the things about his life that really shocked me. Um, and then the next morning I woke up and I grabbed my phone to read the New York times. And, and it was an article about, I think it was titled something like happiness won't save you. And it it chronicled the life of a man named Philip Brickman, who was an expert researcher um, studying the state of happiness. But the article, while it was about his achievements and his life was really about the fact that he had just committed suicide. And a few hours into that day, the day after Thanksgiving, um, the person I had spent time with received a text saying that Tony Shea had died. And it made me really think hard about happiness and, and, and what is happiness and how do we, how do we get happiness? And I realized happiness is not something you can innovate or hack or shortcut, you know, it's not a constant state of play for me, at least with my experience with the life brief, happiness is an outcome and maybe a reward of leaning into the agitation and facing I think those questions we tend to avoid and looking at our truths with that beginner's mind and allowing that to be the opening and a doorway to paths that we couldn't envision when we were sitting down and planning, but allowing that voice and truth to guide us through what at first might seem scary and definitely uncomfortable, but in the end, reveal some unexpected twists and what I call unimaginable rewards that we would have otherwise not discovered. Wow. I wish we had another hour now to unpack that. That was really well said. That was beautiful. Um, 
Gosh. Okay. Well, I think we're going to end on that. Um, and, and I, I, maybe I can have you back on when the book's coming out, we can promote the book and I would love that. Thank talk you. more about what you just said on, on happiness. I think that's really interesting, but Bonnie, I just want to thank you so much for joining me. I, I feel like we're old friends already. Like I, I loved our conversation. Um, and I just love the work that you're doing it. It's, it's, I, I know, I know it's changing people's lives. And when you can do that with your gift, I just think that's the best thing you can do. So thanks for sharing well, that with everybody. It's mutual, Jeff. What you're doing is also amazing. And, and I thank you so much for having me on. And given that it's such a long time for the book, if people want um, on my website, thelifebrief.com, they can sign up for a newsletter. It's not a traditional newsletter, but every two weeks I put out exercises and reflections. It truly is a gift. I don't sell, cross-sell, announce, promote. It's just a way to help people tap into the practice um, in their own time in easy, what I call irresistible ways. And I, I I get it and I love it. And I loved your last one that you sent. It was a powerful story. Uh, a friend of yours give, you know, talking to you. So I, I would recommend everybody do that. I'll put um, links in the show notes so people can uh, do that. So Bonnie, thank you so much. I hope we meet in person one day. I think we will. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Bye. Thanks, Jeff. Bye. Wow. You made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com. And I really do appreciate you listening. 